Mic check, mic check. Can they hear us? Slight echo, but we're good. Here's one for you. Drink water, drink a lot of it, drink it often. Add a combo shake in there if you can. <laughs> Come on, nation. What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 230. You heard that right, episode 230 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and smash down on that subscribe button. Actually, you know what? Pause this episode, get all that done for me. Rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button, then get right back to it because we have a great one for you today. Today's show is an early look at the 2021 NBA Draft with Adam Stanko. Adam is the co-host of Rejecting the Screen Pod. We also talk about Adam's previous work with ESPN and covering the draft. Great conversation. Can't wait for you all to hear it. You could find Adam on Twitter at NaismithLives. That's N-A-I-S-M-I-T-H. L-I-V-E-S. You know you can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Stanko, co-host of Rejecting the Screen Pod. Welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today? I'm great, man. Uh, it's great to be on with you. This is exciting for me. Yes, sir. It's great to have you on. You know, it's, I was going through YouTube and I saw friend of the show, Coach Nick, and you talking about early Twitter about nine, ten years ago, man. <laughs> uh, I love Coach Nick. I love Coach Nick. Yeah, great guy. Great guy. He was actually just on the show. Tell me more about your history covering the draft and even what you've done with ESPN. Yeah. So, oh man, it, it goes way back. I was a, I was a little kid and, you know, used to comb through street and Smith magazine as a kid, check it out. I love to hear about all the, the prospects that were local. I grew up in uh, Southeastern PA. So just all the guys coming up at that, at that time um, when I was in my, my early teen years and stuff, middle school and all that kind of thing. And then, at one point, I, I got to say, my big interest in the draft, I really started to get into it. And my dad happened to meet an executive at the Timberwolves when I was about 14 or 15 years old. And he said, hey, you know, my dad was on a plane with him or something and was telling him that I had a huge interest in the draft. And the guy said, oh, well, we'll take any feedback. Have him reach out. And I'll never forget, I reached out to this guy. And he kind of blew me off. I mean, it was nice of him to, to you know, talk to a little kid. But right. at the time, I was listing off some guys and he was – he didn't, he didn't know who some of them were. And that's when I knew for the first time there was a difference in organizations across the league. So, uh, but that, that, I think, sparked my interest. Like, oh, okay, teams are run differently here and, and all that. And, um, you know, I've had a production broadcasting career, always stayed, stayed close to the game. And uh, when, I was at, when I was at ESPN um, in 2006 is when I got there, but starting, I want to say 2007, 2008, I, I started getting connected with the guys doing the draft. And I had had a, a lot of interest with knowing the different players and having an understanding of the NBA and college game. And, you know, it's interesting, Combo, because I know you have sort of the same thing. And it's not a lot of fans are like us in that regard. A lot of them are strictly college guys or they're NBA guys. And so the draft is the only time they really cross over. But for me, I've always I've always loved both and, and love the differences and and uh, it was just always fascinating. Picked everybody's brain that I had ever worked with on different levels. So it was writing that I had done or production stuff, whether it was with Comcast or, or with, uh, with ESPN. And so basically they said, hey, we're, we're putting together our draft packages. We're putting together our draft shows. Can you help us out and essentially go over players, um, you know, sort of a guide and be a guide in the control room for what we need to know as to what's going on. And so I had done that for a few years. And um, in fact, during the time when like Woj was, was hijacked, I mean, he still does. So when Woj was hijacking all the picks, you know, like. Oh, hey, yeah, right, right. Well, he, he had Woj. He did that big time this year, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. But before they even, before they had even landed Woj as a, as a guy, 
they, you know, and, um, and he's getting all their picks. They were flipping out in the control room. They didn't know where it was coming from. They thought somebody might've been tipping their, you know, his hand. Nobody knew what the, what the status was with the situation. Um, but it was, uh, it was, it was a, it was a great experience to, um, to, you know, work in that regard. And it's early days, of tw- you know, and then you're talking like around 2010, 2011, where it was early days of Twitter. Yeah. And at that point, you know, that there was a lack of understanding from production rooms, like how, you know, Twitter was influential and, and really changing the draft because people were getting all their information two picks ahead and all that. And, and I think TV really needed to catch up with what was happening on, on Twitter. But um, every year I go, uh, a good friend of mine's Don McLean. He's the CA workout guy, Pac-12's all-time leading scorer. We go down, um, I go check out his prospects. Obviously this year was different. But he works out, you know, all the top prospects in the draft that CAA has and really tries to increase their stock. So I've gotten a chance to, you know, watch the pre-draft workouts for guys like Donovan Mitchell and John Collins. And, and Don's had guys all the way back to, you know, Adam Morrison, but, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, um, you know, but over the last few years, getting to see, see guys in a different perspective, you know, seeing Grayson Allen work out with Devontae Graham, you know, it's one thing to watch guys like that during their college season, but then when you see them in private workouts, and I think people have a misconception that sometimes it's, you know, um, working out against one-on-one against the chair, you know, it's like, it's like you can, you can glean so much information or how hard a guy works once the college season ends up until when, when the draft starts. So yeah, I spent, uh, seven years at, at ESPN and, um, the production world and did some producing sports center. And now, um, coordinated producer Pac-12 Network as we speak, along with doing the Rejecting the Screen pod. How do you think they're doing in terms of production? Because it's so weird, man. I think it's even, like, weirder because it's no bubble. There's just these, you know, <laughs> it's like a huge ball in the middle of nowhere, and it's a little bit off. People are recording from home sometimes, and they're recording, you know, at the game sometimes. What have you made of the production so far? I mean, the bubble was great. Uh, what do you make of this early regular season? It, it's funny you say that. We've been talking a lot about it on the podcast. Just like, you know, the bubble was sort of built almost like um, a set was is built for a play, you know. Like a production, like a real construct. production. Yeah, and, yeah. and everyone sort of has this suspension of, of disbelief. In, in NBA terms, it's almost like, hey, we all understand this is unusual and we're playing this glorified AAU tournament, right? And and the setup was awesome and you got the virtual fans and everyone's willing to just suspend what's normal as an NBA fan. But all of a sudden you go back to arenas to your point, And now it's like empty arenas and, and there's no one there. And it just feels so odd. It's, you know it's, what it feels like? One of those minor leagues that are about to fold. Like if you exactly. look at, like, if you look at it just from like the outside looking in at the whole arena, like, Oh, it's about to be over. Paychecks are about to not come in. You know what I mean? <laughs> it feels exactly like that. All of a sudden you look for the first time and not to mention there's some weird audio and stuff because I think how they pipe in noise. We've been talking about, you watch games and you don't hear whistles and calls. All of a sudden there's an and one and you're like, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? You know, and trying to figure that out. It's weird too. Cause the bubble gave such insight on sort of, you know, the officiating as you'd see them come over to the scorers table and give their information there. And now, you know, in these games, obviously guys are trying to broadcast like they did before, except the atmosphere is just entirely different. And it's strange too, from people that have gone, you know, in the arenas and gone to games because the feedback I've been getting is just how weird it's been. You know, guys are getting teams, entire teams are getting introduced pregame. They say, you know, the music's being piped in, guys are dancing. It's become sort of a party atmosphere. And I also think, you know, just like I saw it with the bubble on the floor, like it's strange how it impacts play. It's, it's different to say there's home court advantage now. I mean, there still is because of the travel factor. And I think fatigue plays such a role. And we saw that in the, the bubble, how that was different. But, you know, that was, I think, the big thing in the bubble that I was looking forward to. And I saw that you have these breakout performances from guys, as you know, like some guys can perform and practice and in workouts when the lights come on and that way crowd starts getting on them, they, they shrivel up and the bubble allowed for some of those guys to actually be themselves. And I always say that's the difference between the, the really, really good players and the all time greats. Like you go on the road and if you're the same way that you can be in practice in terms of your looseness yeah. and how you're throwing passes and your handle becomes loose, like, and you can still shoot it without that tightness like the great players, it, it almost seems unaffected. You're seeing the same guys in workouts, but you know, like I've been to so many workouts and seen guys 
that'll blow you away and you're like oh this guy's incredible but then you know it gets out on the court game starts and he's just not the same player that tightness creeps in and and I think that was a big difference in the bubble and I'm curious to see as the season goes along you know how many of the role players still take on greater greater performances yeah and then there's gamers who don't look as good in the workouts and you get him a game you know they just they just do what they do exactly it's going to be interesting with decision makers like how they feel I mean, the first name that comes to mind, but there's so many like him, like Gary Trent, like, do we move off our priors or do we really pay, like, do we really pay this guy? Yes. You know, it's going to be interesting because we don't really know, like, what if some of this free agency coincides with when fans start coming back? Like, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I, I, I totally agree. And, and it, you know, and it goes both ways. There's, there's the superstars that underperformed when they had their, their bit of bubble run and, and people made these judgments about them. Yeah. And about their careers and legacies. And we, we, you know, the questions about Giannis, which I thought are crazy. I mean, there's some critiques to be had for sure, but I think on the whole, like, I mean, to judge people, some, I just think some players, some teams viewed it differently in the bubble than, than others did. I, I think it impacted mindsets and all that. And then you're absolutely right. You take a guy like Gary Trent, all of a sudden he's shooting lights out, looks like the same player people were projecting him to be when he was coming into Duke. Yeah. It's like, wow, is this guy on this level? Or is this just he's able to do it because it doesn't, you know, he, he's not he's not buckling from from any of the normal pressures that would be applied right now. So I do think that it does impact how how executives are looking at roster management and all that. And there's just a lot to gauge. It's weird. We're, we're in the abyss. Plus, you don't know how long this is going to last for, too. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, well, fans are going to come back soon. But we don't we don't know that for a fact. So, you know, let's talk about the draft. Let's get into it. That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Um so I think the top four, in my opinion, is pretty solidified. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and I think Cade is on a tier by himself. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you have Suggs and Mobley and Green right under him. How do you feel about that? Does somebody else crack into the top four? And tell me a little bit about all those prospects I just named. Yeah, well, I mean, you're talking about guys. It's so interesting every year, the draft. I think we, we judge it based upon, or at least fans do, maybe media does to a certain extent, about how strong a draft is typically like who those tier one guys are. And it was interesting, you know, as, as, as this previous draft went through, it was like, I don't know that you could have pointed to any and said that they were surefire tier one guys that you knew or franchise changers from day one. That doesn't mean that those guys didn't have a chance to get there. And I know, I know for you personally, you know, Big Anthony Edwards and, t- um, and Halliburton, Hall- like and, Halliburton and Edwards intrigued me the most. Like, yes. And okay. I don't want to sleep on your love for Tyrese Halliburton. And for those of us that appreciate Tyrese Halliburton, those, the rest of them, they're catching on now. That's yeah. great. But you know, I know you were, you were big on Halliburton too. So I got to give you props for that. Um, Definitely. But those, those two guys, I mean, certainly have, I think special talent. We know LaMelo plays a, a style with like a, a looseness plus his work ethic is crazy that I think you looked at those guys and said, all right, we know. And Wiseman too, like, you know, such a small sample size, just three games in college. You knew that those guys had potential at some point, but it wasn't guaranteed. They're going to walk in day one. And so a lot of times, again, you talk about what's going to separate a tier one from a tier two guy. And that's how teams will evaluate it too. As you, as you sort of put out, point out with Kate, like teams will look at it and say, well, we have to set up a tier system. And so if we're a, top four pick great or we're five to nine all right good we're going to get a guy that's of this of this ilk of this group and it was just so interesting because then a lot of times it just comes down to how hard those those guys work and that's a really difficult thing to get honest information from I mean you know the the personal trainer oftentimes the guys working them out pre-draft you know, they have vested interest in how high those players go. But it's how- funny, Lu- Lucas trainer who Lucas trainer who's obviously Lucas already in the league. He's like, he's out of shape, man. That's the European style. Just be blood, man. Lucas. Oh yeah, and you want that, <laughs> and that's and that's and that's something right. again. Like, you know, my guy Don. Um, you know, he 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 is paid by CAA to work these guys out, and people know this. But what they love about Don McLean, anybody that knows the man, like. He's incredibly honest. And that's one of the things. And, and so I'll, he gives the same information to me and I, I call him, I'm like, Hey, how are guys looking at workouts? And he'll go, man, I'm so disappointed in this kid, or, you know, this guy's not working hard enough or he's got an attitude, but then he'll also change over time and say, Hey, he really impressed me, you know, and, and all that. Uh, what's remarkable. And I, I'm just saying all this is a preface to, to getting into these kids, but. And one of the things that I think people don't understand too, about the draft is, you know, college coaches are trying to win games. 
they want to develop players and they want pros because it's going to, it's going to increase the prestige of the program, obviously. And it's a great thing, you know, when, when Duke can point and say, Hey, look at all the guys that are succeeding in the league right now, or Michigan state says that, or, you know, any of the top, top tier programs, but at the same time, their interests, whether it's Tony Bennett or Izzo or self, it doesn't matter those guys are trying to win games at the college level. They're not necessarily looking at it. Oh, how can I put Devonte Graham in the best position for him to be drafted in the highest slot? Now yeah. you, they, they want those goals to come together. They're interested in Devonte Graham's, but those are, but they're separate goals. Oftentimes like certain guys will be better off showing their ability at the point or showing their ability to shoot the ball. But like, you know, Kentucky plays a style where, and this has been a big thing for Calipari for years, he wants to focus these young guys. He doesn't have much time with them. He wants them to do one thing. And yeah. so, you know, we saw with Patrick Williams class, too, right? They didn't try it with Patrick Williams. Like absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great example. And so, and, and, and the Kentucky guy, I mean, you get a Devin Booker and it's, Hey, we're going to get you out of the perimeter. We're going to work to get you open shots in our driving kick offense. And then, and you know what? You're going to make a ton of shots. We're going to put you in a good position to succeed and then you'll have a chance to show people that you're not just a catch and shoot guy clearly, you know, and that you can even run point and you have a great handle. Uh, you can attack double teams, all these things. So, so I say that oftentimes what guys see in college, it's different than the college season ends. And then it's all about, okay, what can they show in their pre-draft work and what are teams seeing that maybe we didn't see as a general public and as fans. And so um, now Getting to those guys, I agree with you. I mean, Kate Cunningham, to me, there are guys that are freakish in terms of – it's easy to see the athleticism when you see Zion or even a John Moran. But there are other guys that I call freaks that slow the game down, right? It's like that – the Matrix effect all of a sudden Luke, now. Yeah, Luke, Luca Harden, stuff like that. Exactly. Trey yeah, Young, I'd say, on that level. Like, all of a sudden you look and it's like, those guys are playing a different game. Like, it's too easy to them. They manipulate everyone else. LeBron, obviously, is, is the same way. And and Kate is in that class. Like, you're going to play at his pace. And that's something that I think is just so rare. And, and, and that unique ability, I think, right away puts him near the top. And then you look at the size. You look at his ability to score, consistently hit shots. He's going to get open looks. And I just I love the kid's demeanor on the court. Boys, I think he, all I think I'm about is you. I, I just think that the prospects like him just don't come around. It's interesting to me because not all mocks right now are saying that he's the number one pick, um, but I really? think he's clearly the guy. Yes, yeah, who, you, you who, see some. Who are the guys that they have above him? Well, exactly like you exactly like you point out that whole group of of four. You know. Um, it's whether it's Evan Mobley, whether you're looking at a Jalen Green, um, and then, um, of course, Jalen Suggs. I mean, it, Suggs, to me, is the other guy that there's something special about that kid. Like, he's got that crazy burst that I absolutely love. He's got really good size. We know about the football background in high school and that he wanted, you know, was considering playing football as well in college. So you almost sit there and say, for guys that have been – I love guys that play multiple sports – because they see yeah. the game differently and they sort of think and have a different mentality, especially football players. But there's this other part to it too. That's like when those guys get a chance to focus solely on basketball and you're starting to see it now with his shooting numbers. Um, and a lot of and people don't realize, as you know, as a, as a pro baller, like, you know, so much of um, uh, field goal percentage, three point field goal percentage, those numbers oftentimes come from just decision making in terms of when to take shots and not forcing things. Not so much about a guy's ability to shoot. And that's also a difference. You see low field goal percentage on the college level. It just might be the guy's forcing shots, might not be in the right spot working for different parts of his game. I, to me, Jalen Suggs is, is a guy at, at, at number two. And then you start to throw in you know, that, that Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga is another guy who, I mean, he's a freak show athletically. I mean, he's got crazy size. He's been extremely productive throughout his high school career. Now goes the G League route and we're not getting a chance to see him. And, and I, and I want a body of work that I want to get to see, you know, right. on the G League circuit. So we can see what, what Green's starting to look like right now, what his yeah. body looks like and all that. And then the other thing is, you know, combo is like, the biggest number that NBA teams look at now, which has changed in the last 
15, even 10 years, I would say, is just the guy's age. Like that's the number one stat they look at. I, I, I joke with people all the time, especially like casual followers of the draft that like you took a kid that's like pretty good, but wasn't that impressive. And you tell everybody that he's 17, like NBA scouts will just be, they don't care. Like he's 17. I don't, I don't care what he is, what he looks like right now because they project out, you know? And so when it's Obi Toppin, who I personally love, and I know you'd like, Obi, I, I've heard you describe it. You like Obi. You just I want, thought, I'm like the diction. It's a caliber, man. Yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I love Tyrese. No, no, you're right. I do like Obi. He's a New York guy. So I, I can't, I gotta be easy. It's, I gotta be easy. There you go. I'm a New York I guy. Love, you know? I love Obi Toppin and I think he's scratching the surface, but I think the argument always was, and people will say to me, Whoa, how did he, you know, even how did he slip? Like people and the defense, thing is, like, playoffs, for, defense, playoffs, yeah, well, defense, defense, defense number one. Yeah. And for all the things he does well, you know, at 22 years old, you look at James Wiseman and say, hey, look at what James Wiseman's going to be in three years. And, he, yeah. and that's the level that, you know, Obi Toppin should be at. So, so I, I think age is the big thing. And, you know, the first, I think it was eight picks in the NBA draft. We're all 19 years old this year. And so age, obviously a factor. And it's really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see these, the G League guys, especially this year when the world is so different, you know, and how that, that whole thing ends up being sorted out. It's going to be interesting to see um, just, you know, as time goes on, like how many more guys continue to go the G League route as it becomes more appealing financially and all that. But I think, you know, so you throw Kaminga in that class. I, I will say um, I, I think he's, he's one of those guys too. I, I'd put him up in that, in that top five category just because that explosiveness is just such a rarity. Um, and then, I mean, Mobley's – I think Mobley's a really interesting guy. I, You know, to me there's a lot of – like almost um i don't know it's like a more fluid like jaron jackson in a sense like you knew that the guy on the college level was scratching the surface the form on his shot is great um he moves just so smoothly for a guy his size and then you see there was a game that usc played the other night where he didn't take a shot in the first half um still trying to find himself as a as a player uh, there's no question about the ability. And I think that's what you're gauging it on is that like the way this guy moves, you know, on the court, his productivity has been solid defensively. He's going to be terrific right from the jump uh, still needs to put on weight. I think that, but- I think, I think the thing with him is, is that how an NBA team will look at like, obviously he has the skill sets of the talents, but how will we use it? I don't exactly. think there's a, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And, and, and you have to factor guys into like, you know, right now the league looks at it in, in just a couple of different ways. Like, first of all, you have the the trend now, obviously, where it's like, hey, is this guy, can this guy play a five for, can he play a five man for us? Which obviously you got to be a rim protector if, if you're going to be a five, especially if a team's going to go small with the other, with the other four positions on the floor. So I think that's the first thing that you have to look at when it comes to bigs. And that's where the game's changed. You look at a guy last year, like uh, Daniel Latoro from, from uh, Minnesota and years ago he would have been a guy drafted much higher um, except that now those like classic bigs that are strong and post up and all that kind of stuff are you able to switch are you able to guard guys on the perimeter and all of a sudden their value gets gets decreased a little bit whereas uh, you know Stick Smith from Maryland goes to Phoenix and there's an interest there like hey we could be a playoff team this guy can also step out and shoot threes he's going to block shots and so there's this specialist role too. If you're not going to be one of the top three best players on your team and you're, for lack of a better term, like a, a combo guy that, that can play, you know, multiple positions, do no, multiple things. Like at the same time, are you then, what is your plus one skill? How are you a specialist? And I think that's how teams also start to view it is, and how quickly can you help us? You know, and Evan Mobley right away defensively, like, all right, I can play this guy at some five. He's going to block some shots and, and help us out. Obviously, he can run the floor um, and he's not going to hurt his shooting. You're not going to have him step in day one and shooting NBA threes. Although if he does put in the work over the summer, maybe that is part of his game as, as a rook. So, um, you know, I, I think that's that's sort of how you view it. But I definitely think that when you view this year's class and especially as it relates to last year, and it wasn't just my opinion, but NBA teams felt this way. I know Chad Ford and I discussed this. They just didn't look at it as like, hey, there's tier one type players last year. But this this 2021 class, this, I think it's a different animal. I think teams expect Cade Cunningham is going to come in 
and he's going to be your your best player. I think, and he's going to change the game. I think. I think you look at a Jalen Suggs has that that potential. I think Jalen Green could, has that potential. Mobley may not be there year one, but you say, hey, this guy might be an all star a couple of years from now. And and you know, same thing for me for Kaminga. So and then and then I think you go beyond that, and now all of a sudden the tier two guys in this draft um, also have serious potential. I mean, Zaire Williams is one of those guys. I put him on that same like. Patrick Williams path. I mean, Patrick Williams doesn't start a game at Florida state last year, as you point out, didn't necessarily use him the way that people that saw him in high school knew he could be used, but Zaire Williams is sort of the same thing. Like you see his shot is beautiful, but he's not hitting on a consistent clip. He's playing defense. Obviously getting to his shot is terrific. Shot selection might need some work. So it's like some refining of his game and a greater understanding of how to play. And sometimes guys are just better NBA players or at least more productive NBA players than they are in college. They're not facing double teams. Spacing, there's no flow in college. Which Spacing, is, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. All those all those same things. And then what you're asked to do, same thing. Like, hey, I'm going to come and ask you to do this consistently as opposed to, hey, in college, you know, early, you know, especially guys that come in early on trying to make an impact, it's, hey, I'm going to play you 35 minutes a night and you're asked to lock this guy down defensively. However, you can help us. I don't care necessarily about the shot selection. Whereas all of a sudden you get with these coaches in the league and they talked and all of a sudden too, you know, league will wake you up with that move that you like that first move you go to. Well, they're going to, they're going to know what you're doing right away. Oh, you, you like to take two dribbles to the right and pull up. Okay. Well, that pull up's not going to be there. We're not going to allow that. So what's yeah. your counter. And to me, a lot of times it's that it's that next level of the, you know, the intellectual part of the game that, you know, that, that, that is just such a difference maker for prospects that all of a sudden, who are the guys that understand this and, and work on it, understand how teams are defending them. And then also putting in that work in the off season to say, and that's where, you know, you see these guys jump in the off, especially year two, year one, they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to put themselves in the best position to get drafted year two team gets with them and says like, look, you struggled all year because, you went to your first move and, and they stopped it. You need a counter and then you need to counter off that. And the great players, I mean, they go counter, 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 as you know. So, um, yeah, I, I, I am, I'm, I'm pumped about this draft, man. Like I, it's so weird cause it's, it's still so far away, but, um, this class is just crazy. And these guys just look different. They, they just, I don't know. I love, I love to hear the, about the influx about the next, the next group that's, that's coming. You Me know. too. Yeah, I like projecting it. I like telling people when I'm right. I think sometimes I annoy people, <laughs> but um, I, I wanted to tell, uh, I wanted to ask you about the duo from Illinois, A.O. and Miller. Uh, how mm-hmm. do you think their games will translate at the next level? Well, it's interesting because Tasumu, like he came in as a freshman a couple of years ago. And people were like, oh, this kid can really go. Like there was already this hype that he was an NBA player. You could see it from the size and all that kind of yeah. stuff. This year, the productivity has been like, through the roof. I think his understanding of the game has just grown. And that's where you talk about, um, you know, again, the development, the age, and, and he's still only, he just turned 20 in January. So he's still a kid that has, you know, a lot of room to grow and that you, he's going to get to the draft and he's only, only a junior, but he's still only going to be a year older than a lot of his peers in the draft. And, and it's one of those guys, and this is where you can see it. And this is what the NBA guys already know is that, the other guys, when you look at almost statistically, like Desumu like jumps off the page because his numbers are, are way ahead of where a lot of the freshmen are. But this yeah. is where they would be had they chosen to stay in school for for a couple of years. But you really like the size. You like the, his ability to consistently hit down, knock down shots. You like that. You know, he can run a team. He can play both guard spots. He's a combo. Again, let's let's throw it out there. Combos court represent. We're out here. So, I think. You know, for all those reasons, you know, there's there's reasons to be excited. And then for me, this kid, you won't see his name on almost any draft boards. Adam Miller, the kid from that you just brought up from Illinois, other uh, backcourt guard. But man, he's got a quick trigger. And I think honestly, I think if you'd put this kid like in last year's draft, he might be the best shooter in in last year's draft. There was a lot of talk, Aaron Neesmith, like and what he was able to do. Yeah, uh, obviously. Um, Isaiah Joe from Arkansas can really fill it up too. But there are certain guys, you know, you get on the court, you watch them take two shots and you're like, man, this kid can really shoot the basketball. So it has to work on his game. There's, there's other parts that he has to develop, but he'll get in there and, and he'll defend. Um, he's a li- he's listed at six, three. I think he might be a little bit smaller than that. So he might be like undersized for your classic, like two or playing off the ball. I don't know that. 
I know he, he brought the ball up some in high school. I don't know that he's, you know, you're going to have that. Maybe he can run a second unit, you know, and that's where his development's got to come from. But I, but there are certain prospects sometimes you see and you're like, Hey, that's a guy I'm excited to follow because his shooting ability is crazy. And you look at guys that sometimes when they start to show out towards the end of the year, they're just, it's weird. The league needs shooting more and more. And yet I feel like there's less shooters that even get the opportunity, whether it's at the college level and then start to come up. And now all of a sudden draft comes around and NBA teams are like scurrying for, Oh, well, there's very few shooters in free agency. Now we got to go, go get one in the draft. And, and that's where you look for like Terry from Stanford this past year, Tyrell Terry, like, yeah. Oh man, like all of a sudden he becomes automatic, like first round pick because you're going, well, we need a guy who could shoot the basketball. So we're going to go race up to go get him. And there aren't many in this year's class. There's a lot of guys who do different things. Well, but you want a specialist, you want a shooter, a guy that can come in and contribute right away. That's what you go and get. And this is a kid who can shoot at the NBA level right now. I absolutely love his ability to shoot the basketball. I wanted to get to, to a few sleepers, but before then, are there any other top 10 picks that really interest you in, in the um, upcoming draft? I'll tell you, I mean. Projected, Charles, I would say projected top 10, I should say. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think Charles Bassey is a guy that's, that's really interesting to me, Western Kentucky. I mean, he's a big, he's almost classic big. He's dealt with some injury issues, all that. Um, you know, he he turned he'll he turned twenty um, uh, in October. So he's a kid that you know come draft time that now we're talking about. Um, you know, still still be fairly young. Uh, the interesting thing about about Charles Bassey though is like his development he's got great size I mean you see him right away and you're like oh he's a guy that'll be in the league because of his size and all but he's just worked on his body tremendously and usually bigs as you know like that suffer injuries they all of a sudden later as time goes on they actually get themselves sort of out of shape and and instead of working themselves into shape he's been in much better shape and does a lot of the little things well that bigs need to do on that next level seals his man off really well rebounds the ball at a really high rate uh, defensively, he, he gets after it. He's going to block shots out of his area, rebounds out of his area. So there's a bunch of things like, again, he's more of your, your classic big. He's not somebody that's going to be in a pick and pop situation. You're not seeing him shoot threes at the college level. He is going to have to extend and you still do need to shoot 15 footers. I don't care who you are in the NBA or, or you just aren't going to be on the floor in a lot of instances, you have yeah. to make that shot. But I do think that his ability you know, really to, to seal guys. And if he gets a mismatch and whether that's in terms of rebounding or whether that's in terms of just, you know, off a switch or what have you, he takes advantage of that every time and finds a way to, to score and exploit that. And um, you know, Western Kentucky does a good job of getting him the basketball, but I think Charles Bassey is a guy that I think is interesting. He's going to be in the league and you know, you're not going to draft him top five because of the way the league is right now. But I do think he's the type of kid that, he put so much work in. You can just feel it on his body, on his game, that I, re I really like what his potential could be as a, as a role player in, in the league. It's interesting you say that because somebody texted me, um, Luca Gars is a top five pick. And I'm like, oh, man, uh, when I see him lumber up and down the floor like that, like I like what he does. But, man, you got to be able to get up and down in today's NBA. Can he be, can he be a productive NBA player? Of course. It's kind of it's top five pick. I, I don't think so. No, no, I'm with you. Top five. And I think NBA teams right now, if you were to ask them, honestly, it's almost like, well, somebody's going to take him in the first round because of the productivity. I think that's the way they would all right. look at him. And then the question about how high he ends up going will all be about just what team I think it's going to come down to what they see in workouts. And, and, you know, it's one of the things for the draft that you have, you have the tape to look at this, is what teams are analyzing. They've got the tape that they're going to see that we all get a chance to see and how deep we dive in. I mean, they'll look at it through synergy, you know, and go through and see, all right, what did he do in pick and roll situations or specific situations throughout the season? How was he utilized? Did he make the most of it? All that kind of thing. Uh, how's he handling double teams? So those kind of questions that we can all sort of view from, from the tape. Right. But then after that, there's there's the individual workouts that teams will have when they bring kids in. And then there's also their their interview process. And, and a lot of times that's what's really started to, to blow up as one of the most interesting parts, especially with such younger players coming in, 19 year olds. They, there's a level of maturity that teams want to see. They want to know about your work ethic. How much do you love the game? What kind of guy are you? Are you going to fit in with other players? If everybody's working now about the chemistry that the teams have amongst each other, 
So those factors, that kind of stuff, yes, you can do that. That can be done over Zoom calls, right? So, so this past draft was so unique in that regard. They could do the interviews and they could look at the tape. But the individual workouts were extremely limited. You weren't getting to see guys work out against other guys, how much guys wanted to work out against other top tier guys in their class. So that part was out. And of course, the combine is the other place where you could show people you know, what you're made of. And that's where, again, a lot of those in-person interviews take place. So I, I think about all those things. And then, okay, so then you say a, a Luca Garza and say, all right, look, the productivity is off the charts. Yep. We know that. The one thing that I think teams wanted to look at this year, you sort of know who the kid is. You know that he's a big that's extremely skilled and has different ways that he can score. He rebounds. Great great feel. Great feel. Great great feel for the game. His work ethic's been crazy. His improvement's been wild. Um, So there's a lot of reasons to to be excited. But you're also saying, okay, turn 22. um, He turned 22 years old just after Christmas. He's... So he's already one of the older prospects again, compared to these younger guys. So he's got an, an edge in that regard, but he's made the most of it during his time there. His productivity has been crazy. He's, you know, leading the country and scoring those kinds of things. He's going to block shots though. So that's, that's critical. So he can help you out, but is he going to be able to switch um, defensively and guard guys out on the perimeter? A, is he going to be able to run the floor, as you point out, B? So that's those are questions right there. And the other question is, is he going to be able to shoot? Because if I put him on the floor, yes, it's one thing for him to score um, against other bigs, especially as teams go smaller, even at the five. He's going to be able to dominate some of those guys. He'll eat in the paint. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But the question is, can he talking shoot? About, talking, about is, seal, talking about sealing guys off, man. He does that at elite. Oh, he does that yeah, incredibly yeah, well. Yeah. Obviously, great hands. I think all those things are awesome. The one thing is... The fact that he's been able to shoot the ball is what I think has been really big in terms of his development this year, that we're seeing him step outside, shoot the three. So teams will feel like, hey, even if we put him in games and we're hurting defensively, and they will be in some regards, like he's going to take advantage no matter who you put him against on the offensive end. And I think that'll neutralize itself. He's not going to have a major advantage because, you know, you worry about, again, the way he's going to guard guys on the perimeter. But I do think that there are going to be teams that are going to say, hey, you know what? A guy like him, maybe on a second unit situation uh, early on in his career, and then even you know playing starters minutes, he's going to be extremely effective, and he's going to create mismatches for us offensively. And so for that reason alone, I think he ends up going – I think a team ends up taking him um, in the late teens is where I think he's probably going to end up going. I think a team will fall in love with him, assuming that he plays well in workouts and does that thing. Um, but yeah, really to me, I think he's one of those intriguing guys that like the average fan watches him and goes, how's Luca Garza not a top five pick? And then you and I go, well, there's a bunch of reasons, but you know, they're tough to see. And the thing is his coach will say, this kid should be a top five. You know, you get that kind of talk too. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, is it really tough to see like the way he lumbers up and down is like, it's it's concerning. (laughs) But the thing is, I I think he could have an interesting off season when he doesn't have to worry about. His, his college basketball season, like they really need to. And I, and I know, and I love people to double down on their strengths, but he doesn't even need to be in the gym that much. He needs to be running Hills. He needs to be yes. working on sliding his feet and you could really improve at that stuff. Like he has the feel for the game, which you really can't teach in my opinion, mm-hmm. but there is some stuff you can get better at. Like he got to get faster going up and down. And there's, that's things you can get better at. Like we saw Jokic lose weight, not saying he's Jokic at all. No, I totally but, agree. But he could get better at that stuff, and it could really help him. He just needs the baseline athleticism to be a good NBA player, you know? I totally agree with that. I think in general terms, it's one of the things, if guys put the, put the work in, there are certain things that you can improve. You can almost always improve as a shooter. Your yep. form might be jacked, and so that might be an issue. And that the amount of time it takes you to improve as a shooter can, can vary. Some guys, if you come in and your form is a mess – you're not going to be able to reconstruct that in a couple months getting ready for the draft because you have to get ready to get, you know, have confidence as you shoot in front of NBA teams. There's a lot of money on the line. So yep. usually what will happen is guys come in with a jack shot and they say, all right, we're going to take it and just have you shoot as many shots as you can, especially in workout situations and really get, you know, your ability, whatever that is, we're going to get you to your ceiling with this form that you currently have. And that'll just come through reps, right? Just, just right. like anything else. It's just going to be, but as you and I know, it's, it's not just practice makes perfect. It's perfect. Practice makes perfect. And that's, and that's really the mantra. So usually guys with Jack Jack's form will then go the next off season 
and it's all right, we're going to break it all down. And sometimes it's good enough when you hit that second season and sometimes it's not. And then it's the third season. You see the development where guys really, you know, catch on, but that's shooting. You can improve it. And in terms of your physical gifts, man, you can, you can lose weight. Your body can change. Yep. Um, you're not going to turn into a crazy explosive athlete, right? But you can slim down. You can run the floor better. You can be in shape. You can outwork. It, it could team. unlock, it could unlock your feel for the game even more when you got no that baseline question. athleticism. No question. So sure. I, I agree with all that. And, and that's the thing. There's, there's certain levels of explosive athletic ability that you can't teach. And there's certain feel for the game that I think is the other thing. And I think that's the thing when you, when you look back at a prospect like Halliburton that I think to you and I, and I want to say that I, I was as well, you know what I mean? I, I've heard you shouting about it. I, I want to make sure people realize I was a big, it's, it's, it's the funny. feel somebody that I love. Me, somebody texted me. He's like, is Tyrese going to come on your show because you helped improve this draft stock? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he better. <laughs> Yeah, he's better, better, right? Tyrese, come on the show if you're listening. Yes, Tyrese, (laughs) come on, man. His his feel to me was just off the charts. Like I I just love how how he understood the game. And again, it's just like there's certain guys when they play that it all slows down. Tyrese was one of those guys. I don't know that you can teach that. It's the same thing. Like I know that people want to say now that the lead guard position in the NBA has changed. And yes, there's a lot more asked of it because guys have to score from that position. But I still think a lot a lot must be said for the fact that lead guards who know how to run a team, there's, there's so much that goes into that, whether the psychology of it, the, the fact that you could tell a guy who's missed a couple shots, yo man, as you're running up the floor with them and you're bringing the ball up the floor with them, just saying in their ear real quick, yo, I got you go get yourself open. Like I'll find you. And like all of a sudden the level of play, like the confidence to raise the level of play of your teammates. You see that with Chris Paul now in Phoenix and everybody knew this would happen or the ability to take shots late in games or the development of other players. Like there's something to be said for that. And again, if you haven't played the lead guard position, like your whole career, then I think, I don't know, to me, it's such like a confidence, like alpha spot. If you haven't done that your career and guys shift over sometimes as like shooting guards or, or wings even, and all of a sudden they're asked to do more and, and bring the ball up and like for a second unit, you can bring the ball up. But you're not, I think, going to become an elite lead guard unless you have that, that mentality. And that's almost something I, I don't want to say you're born with it, but at a pretty young age, like lead guards are, you know, it's almost like they're born, not made. You know what I mean? So for sure, so the skill set you can learn, but it's that that dog mentality and that and that philosophy and just how you see the game and, and sort of your past first feel. I think that, that there's something to be said for that. And um, as as you know. I don't know. There, there's just something different about guys that know how, even LeBron sort of has that in him. He's sort of, he's always sort of been like a lead guard in a way, obviously playing yeah. it, you know, in the post or wherever, but you know, has that sort of mentality, but I don't think it's the kind of thing that you can, you can really teach. And same thing, like the feel for the game, I think in general, it's just something you, you just have to have by the time you reach the league. It's very rare that a guy, improves in that area i don't think you could i mean in ways you can but i don't really think feel for the game or even the ability to pass is something that you could really improve on like that's just something that's really innate obviously shoot like i think that like a three and deep guy could kind of be constructed like you're six eight you don't need the craziest feel for the game you could shoot the three you can slide your feet and you don't need something crazy like houston rockets had a team full of them last year right like mm-hmm. exactly so exactly it's kind exactly. of that position could be constructed, but when you're like a, a point forward, like LeBron or my guy, Rashad Phillips likes to call him a dual forward. Yes. Like you need to be born with that type of vision, man. Yes. All the new vocabulary as people, as you guys talked about on your pod. So yeah, yeah, yeah you for know, sure. go back and listen, go back and listen. But uh, look, man, I want to shift to some sleepers. Are there any sleepers you have? I'm looking at this guy, Bones Highland. He's interesting, man. What do you think uh, about there's... him? Yeah, there's, uh, I'll tell you, the one sleeper that I, I would love to, to get into is uh, McKinley Wright. Like, talk about another guy, so from Colorado, who's another, it's interesting, because when McKinley Wright came into, into the Pac-12, there was talk, somebody, I think it was Tad Boyle, his own, his own coach said, I'd rather have McKinley for four years than DeAndre Ayton for one. And at the time, it created an interesting discussion, you know, and McKinley was productive since day one at, at Colorado and took the reins you know, right away and, and was um, a really talented kid. And I, but he had a, he's got a great feel for the game as we talk about, he's a little bit undersized at the point guard position. Um, 
22 years old, October birthday. So now you're talking about, you know, a kid that's going to get to the league next year. And then it's like, he's going to be 23 before you know it. So you expect him to be a high level, high IQ. So what you're saying, he doesn't really want one and dones. Like, is that what? No, no, he wasn't. He was saying that he was saying that like for the program, like whatever Aiton can do in his one year, is that going to be at the same level now? And, and by the way, you also have to say a Colorado has to view that differently you know, for their long-term right, than right. what in Arizona does. And that's not to say that Colorado hasn't produced some kids that have really come out over the last few years. I mean, people will talk about Chauncey Billups, but go, but go recently, Spencer Dinwiddie out of Colorado. Yeah. Obviously Derek White, uh, yep. who came in was actually a transfer. Um, and then, you know, um, they, uh, Tyler Bay this yeah. year comes into the league. So, so he's producing guys like there's there's no question, but it's more guys that are, you know, don't have that same oh instant star day one walk in the building. It's more guys that he sees potential in Tab Boyle and he's developed their their games and stuff and done a really nice job with that. But it's more been about how much helping the college program over the, the four years. And it's an interesting thing. I mean, DeAndre Ayton's team gets bounced in the first round of the, the tournament, uh, but obviously he was sensational and one of the best players in college basketball. And I love DeAndre Ayton for all the, you know, the bigs nowadays that, that sort of, um, you know, we, we dismiss, like, I still, I still love what, what he's able to, to do. And, and now showing it, he's got a point guard. He's got, um, he doesn't have the suspension stuff that he had last year is kind of a mess. Um, you know, but the athleticism is off the charts. He's a guy that can step out, hit 12 footers. Um, I love eight. But, but I would say about McKinley, like you want to talk about a guy that really just has, a tremendous feel for the game, true leader at the lead guard position can defend his position. And then now he's developed this whole, he always could get to the, to the cup, but now he's got this whole in-between game. That's awesome. He hits floaters and runners and, and that's all, you know, uh, an NBA skill set that they'll leave that they'll give that to you in the league. You know, now it's all about like so many players want to shoot threes and get to the rim so it's almost like there's always this room for that middle game, which I know it's sort of gone away the dinosaur because of analytics, you know, but as like Seth partner will say, you know, it's, it's not a good shot at the free throw line for guys that don't take it. And also by the way, it becomes self-fulfilling. If all you're working on is the ability to shoot the three and your ability to, to get to the, to the rim, well then we, you know, teams and coaches don't want you and, and front office people with their analytics. They don't want you shooting that 12 to 15 footer because yep. you're not very good at it. But yeah, if you're yeah, working yeah. on that aspect of your game or you got that floater game, I mean, I don't know how it was, was for you, um, you know, overseas or what have you, but you know, as a lead guard, if they're taking away that three and you know that there's bigs guard in the rim, there always seems to be this sweet spot in the middle that you can get to. And by the way, yeah. once you start hitting that, now all of a sudden all those passing lanes start opening up. As, my fa- as- That's my favorite shot in basketball, bar none, the floater. Yeah. And even like with Anthony Edwards, I thought that was something he could really, you know, unlock his game if he gets a floater in there because a lot of his stuff was going all the way to the rim. Uh, even though I, th- I thought people were like kind of overanalyzing him and not realizing that he should have went number one, but I think that's something that, like, I think there's a lot of guys that that could like unlock something for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think that we just, in today's game, we just, you know, we're just not seeing it. Yeah. We're just... yeah. Something you definitely got to work on for sure. Um, look, Adam, I have to ask you this because is there anything we could do from a rules? And I even like talking about trends and the way the game's going even more than sometimes than individual players, but I think there has to be something done to the college game. And I know one will say is like their skill sets just aren't the same as the NBA players, you know? Yeah. Which is true, but I know we could do something like, should we add the Elam ending? Maybe what, what should we do? Oh, should- that's okay. <laughs> Look at you. Uh, <laughs> what should we do? You know, it's a good question. I mean, I think first of all, we need to, you know, we need to get away with this age minimum rule for, for the NBA. If guys don't want to be in college, like who are we kidding? you know, for me personally, like let them get to the league, let them go get their money. I want it. Number one, I want it because of the kids. Like I, I want them to have every opportunity possible, yeah. um, you know, to, to make money, to, to make money off their name, image, and likeness. And, and that whole controversy that we're, we're dealing with right now, but I, but I want these kids to be able to play professional ball if that's what they want to do. And if they don't want to be playing in college, 
it's great. Like, good. There are many opportunities right now. And I know people will say, well, you can do that now at the G League program or you can go overseas, but it's not the same. There's, there's not that solid situation that we're in. In fact, what I would even push for is a radical idea that I, that I would love. I would love that draft decision-making is taken out of both the players' hands as well as, as, well as even the, the people advising them. Because you hear all the time, oh, that kid, what, what's he doing? What's he thinking? He's getting bad advice. Well, if you come up as one of the top players in all of high school basketball and everyone tells you how great you are and you're on a list as a top 10 player in your class since you were in eighth grade, and now all of a sudden you get to college and most mock drafts have you as undrafted, maybe late second, and then somebody puts you and you see somewhere where it's like you're a late first. Or you're going to want to like believe in what you – you know what I mean? You, and, and everyone tells you believe in yourself, right? Like – Oh, just believe in yourself. You got to have that belief. And those guys end up like entering the draft and all of a sudden guys go undrafted. And once you go undrafted, it is, or even a second round pick where it's a non-guaranteed deal. Now it's so hard to catch on to a roster. Yeah. To me, take the decision-making away from those guys. My thing would be everybody's eligible for the draft. So let the market dictate. If the league wants you, they take you. And if not, you still have your, your eligibility. Basically go take on like the, the, the baseball rules that they have in major league baseball. You draft a kid out of high school, kid doesn't want to go and wants to go to college. Like, okay. So he goes to college and maybe you retain his draft rights for a couple of years or something. So you're saying they wouldn't have to declare. Nobody would declare for the draft. Everybody would be just draft eligible. You take any kid that you want. Who's a high school senior. If they go to college, like I like with baseball, you're in for a couple of years. Um, you know, they're into their junior year or what have you. You know, same sort of deal. The kids go. Um, and then if you want, look, and then if a kid, and this is where basketball gives you more options because it's an international game, obviously. Uh, look, he goes after his sophomore year. He's really starting to blow up, like doesn't want to wait. Okay, then go to Europe for a year. Then go to the G League for a year. But, but really, you want to go to college. I think that'll improve things because, you know, teams will know what they sort of have roster-wise, and I think there's more fluidity to the game there. I mean, you see sometimes some weird roster constructions with teams because all of a sudden you have guys that are, you know, good players. Like, you know, I'll take a team right now like Arizona State. I was just talking about this with Matt Muehlbach, who's a star at Arizona in, in his own right. And uh, we were talking about Arizona State, and they have Remy Martin – who was thinking about the draft last year, Alonzo Verge in the backcourt. Obviously they also have Josh Christopher and, and Bagley too. They brought in, but the point is, so you have all this crazy talent, but like Bobby Hurley didn't know Remy Martin was looking at the draft last year, but because of the draft process, maybe if he goes and has some workouts, he impresses a team, he tells him he loves them. He goes into the draft, but he doesn't. So now he returns to school. Alonzo Verge scoring guard combo. Well, now this kid, he ends up deciding to stay in school as well. Well, now you have those two. Plus, here comes Josh Christopher. Now here comes Bagley, like in this great class. Yes, you have all this talent, but it's not – the pieces don't always mesh well. And a coach doesn't know that because he doesn't know who's leaving, who's staying, and all that. So I think that's, that's part of it. But I would love to see, really, we just take the decision-making out of the kids' hands. Like, again, let the market dictate. If, if, if there's an interest, if it's a buyer's market and they want you, you know, you're selling a house, like – if your house looks great and, and there's an interest in it, people are going to come and bid on your house and buy it. And if it still needs work because you need to redo the floors, well, don't put it on the market until it looks good. You know, and it's sort of the same thing. Like, but I don't think it should be the kids that are getting some bad advice or people in their corner. Like it's, and then we blame these kids for this decision-making and the stories we don't hear people talk about these horror stories and all this. It's not as much now because there's so many opportunities if you're an elite college basketball player, you're going to get a chance to play professionally. You're going to get a chance to, to make some coin. But but the league looks at you differently. If you're a first-round pick, it's a guaranteed contract. They're investing in you, and they're going to do all they can to make sure that that you're taken care of and you're given every opportunity. I mean, you know, you, there may be a disconnect between a front office and a coaching staff, but typically – front office is going to see to it that you're going to get an opportunity to play that you figured out and during your rookie deal, all that your second round pick non-guaranteed deal teams is not looking at you the same way. They're not giving you the same opportunities. You know, you may not get the same chances. So that's there. And then if you're undrafted, I mean, now you're on a completely different level and you really have to go above and beyond. And even then sometimes, you know, you take 
certain guys that are just not viewed the same way. It even, you know, we look at certain players who don't get that chance and don't show out right away at the jumpstart their careers later. It's, it's, you know, years down the road, we go like, Oh, how did we not see this with Christian Wood or something like that? It's like, well, because oftentimes yeah. those guys weren't viewed the same way, you know, a superstar gets, gets so many chances and opportunities. And if they don't play well in practice or this or that, they're just judged differently. So I think, I think that would help the college game. That's, that's a long-winded answer to say it. I think that helps. A lot college. of it's about perception. You're saying a lot of it is about yeah. perception. Yeah. Yeah. Perception. And just like, and again, like I think also what guys want to do when they're there. And I also think now we sort of have this weird haves and have nots. Like we have Duke and Kentucky, which are now scooping up all the, you know, all the one and done kids. Yeah. And so now they're changed. And I think we're losing some of the great teams in college basketball. also because just, I mean, part of it is just the guys not sticking around for a period of time. Yeah. I think the kids should have the ability to go. So I'm never going to take it out of the kids' hands. Like I want them to be able to make their money. But at the same time, you look at like right now with Gonzaga and it's like that team to me is just an awesome college basketball team. And it's not just to me. I mean, we all can see it right. and you look and obviously they're very well coached, but uh, they get, they get a transfer in Nembhard comes in from, from Florida. Philip Petrosev <laughs> is there. He's a pro been there for a couple of years now. Drew Timmy, he's going to be a pro, been there a couple of years now. Again, not not guys that are going to be top five picks, top 10 picks, but NBA teams like these guys and can see right away there's there's pro talent there. And then, and then of course, you got – and then Corey Kispert, who's probably a first-round pick, one of the best shooters in this draft, really has worked on his body, his strength. He's now defending guys, knows how to play the game. And then you've got, obviously, Jalen Suggs comes. Now you throw the kid that's the, the superstar talent to this mix – yeah, and like yeah. now it's crazy. And you see, he's not coming in and averaging 25 because they have so many other great pieces. And I think you would see more college teams that I think guys would sort of stick around. Maybe they weren't drafted out of high school and now they go, okay, I need to work on my game and, and, and get better and improve. So I think that that would be a huge part of it. I think a lot of teams and schools don't know. I know when, when Bobby Kremens and this is before one and done era, obviously, but uh, Ian O'Connor wrote the book about, Sebastian Telfair and he said when Bobby Kremens was recruiting Stefan Marbury like him getting Steph for one year set the program back for a number of years not because Marbury wasn't awesome and so incredible and game-changing and all that he was he was everything as advertised and, yeah. and unbelievable but the problem was that the amount of effort and time and and commitment you had to put to get a one-and-done kid and your recruiting efforts and all those kinds of things. And then you only get him for a few months and now he's out the door. Well, now all of a sudden you don't have this player that's helping your team for the next few years and not just on the court, but you think about on a college program, the leadership and, you know, just guiding guys, life decisions and all that and getting them into the gym, you know, when they don't want to yeah. be there. Like, and, I that, think and, that's those... and that wasn't a one and done system like that they had in place there, like Kentucky. No. So it hurt them even more, you know? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And, and listen, I mean, I love what Kentucky does. You know, they tell yeah. kids, they tell kids flat out, Hey, when you come here, we're getting you to the pros as quickly as possible. We think you're a pro. We're here to get you to the league. Yeah, we're not going to yeah. put on any airs. We're not going to pretend like so many other programs do. And then by the way, they also tell the, the, the next kid in line, like, Hey, this kid, he's got a year to figure it out. Or like, we're telling him we're pushing him out the door so we can get the new kid that comes in. So yeah. they, they don't play around and they know that their system works. Obviously it's having some issues this year, yeah. but, um, but the talent is certainly there. I mean, there's, there's some guys on, on that team too. So. Most definitely Adam, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Tell us more about your podcast and where we could find you on social media. Uh, I appreciate it, man. It's been, it's been an honor to be on. Um, yeah. My, my podcast rejecting the screen. I do with Noah Kozlov a uh, long time play by play voice. Um, you hear him in, in college basketball and a uh, talented guy, but he's been around the league forever. And, you know, we put shows out Tuesdays and Thursdays. We, we do our, our own stuff where we talk hoops and a little bit of life, try to take different angles on the game. We don't just talk about the, the other headlines people, you know, uh, like to snatch up. And then, and then we go ISO with, with different guests. And we really like to dive in some long form interviews. That's, that's what Noah and I are really interested in the stories you know, behind the game, it's Adam Morrison talking about Kobe or um, we just had Steve Lavin talking about um, John Wooden or Lindsey Hunter comes on talking about HBCUs. I mean, there's 
it's all different ways that we we like to uh, approach the game uh, and really try to get some some tremendous stories out of our guests. And then, um, yeah, I mean that's that's the podcast. And then people can find me on on Twitter at Naismith Lives. Always up for for good basketball conversation. And uh, yeah, it's a thrill to be on. I, I enjoy your podcast. Thank you. Love what you're doing. Um, like the interviews, love your approach to the game. So, so thank you very much for having me on combo. Adam, anytime you're always welcome back on the show. Great stuff. Thank you so much for being here and talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you for tuning into combos court. Big shouts to Adam for joining in on this draft episode. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, also, man, if you listen to this episode in its entirety, drop a comment and let me know who you think the top three picks of this upcoming 2021 NBA draft will be. Also, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Take a screenshot of this episode if you have Instagram. Post it on your IG stories. Tag me at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. I'll repost it and be on the lookout for episode 2-3-1-Combo. Out.